have woken up to a little bit of white rain, I mean snow, whatever it's called over here. Um, I'm from the north, so we never say it snows in the south, but actually we have at least three inches here. And I know some people are going to, you know, say that we haven't got that much, but actually we do have quite a bit of snow at the moment. Um, and it's all nice, isn't it? So anyway, um, just a couple of notices as we start. Um, I haven't got much in the way of notices, actually. Um, but just to mention that Brenda Oglesby is a granny again. So uh, this week, Sophie Diana was born. So we want to just give congratulations and thanks to God for safe delivery and safe arrival. Um, so, um, and also just to say that uh, Nigel is our Zoom host today. So if you want prayer after the service, then yes, waving there. Um, please contact Nigel on 0770 704 987. Um, I know that we had um, our uh, start of our alpha. I haven't heard how that all went, but maybe Mark, you want to give us an update um, on that just before we carry on? Yeah, it was good. Um, there, there was only a few of us, but we had a, a really good time getting to know one another. And as normal, the videos are amazing. So um, long may it continue. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Fantastic to hear. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's start our service. Let's let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love. Um, and we just want to come before you this morning and give you praise for who you are. Over the last few weeks, and we're continuing today in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel had that vision of you on your throne. And so, Lord, we just want to come before your throne this morning and give you glory and honour and praise that's due your name. So let's continue now by singing, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. we've got no sound was everyone hearing that or not i'm hearing it yeah everyone else is waving saying it's okay no no, no some I, people I've have no sound can you hear me now who was hearing music wave yeah lots of people waving saying they're hearing it well i can only it, say what i can hear it. there are a number of people not hearing um, it'll be down to your own internet connection, I think. Well, we can hear now. 
Yes, we can if hear I, now. If I carry on playing the music, just one second. Praise him, praise with us the God. Were people hearing that? No. no. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Just keep it going. We'll be In fine. the top left, it tells me that Steve's audio is unencrypted. I don't know if that's an issue. Tell you what, let me end the show a second. Because there's always so. a little... yeah. Let me stop the share and I'll reshare. Yeah. Hey. Woohoo. Right. <clears throat> Apologies for this, but let's get there again. So embedded music in a PowerPoint is very resource intensive. Mm. And if you have a slightly dodgy internet connection, it won't work very well. But if you're just speaking, it works fine. So it, it tends to be down to the internet connection. Right. Okay. I'm going to play that hymn again. It's good to do anyway. Hopefully some of you heard that. I'm going to carry on with the worship. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. 
Some people haven't been able to hear any of that. Um, we don't know why some technical issues. Um, however, let's just come and bring our prayers of thanks and praise and thanksgiving before our God this morning. Um, feel free to unmute yourself and pray as you feel led. Psalm 105 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, the miracles and his judgments. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word he commanded for a thousand generations. He said to Abraham, in your posterity shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But for us, not through our own sufficiency, but through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Oh Lord, I just praise you this morning for the beautiful, beautiful snow that we see. I praise you for the wonder of your creation. I thank you, Lord, for friendship, for jokes on Zoom, uh, for things to keep us laughing and smiling in these times, Lord. Thank you. Father God, seeing the snow this morning, I reminded that your blood will wash our sins away. We'll be as pure as snow. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, to all our health workers who are overworked at the moment for the, work, the selfless work that they are doing. Give them a blessing, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name. Lord, as Alan's just prayed, we do bring before you those working um, on the front lines, those in the health sector, those in our schools, um, those in various professions, police, uh, ambulance, Lord, fire, all those working in difficult situations, those shop workers, Lord, who are continuing to keep things going. Lord, we thank you for each one that's on, on their front lines, um, the care workers. Lord, we thank you for those um, and for for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, we're seeing the death rates rising. Um, we're seeing the infection rates rising. And Lord, we just cry out to you. We cry out to you today, Lord. Heal this nation. Father, would you just come by your mercy and your power and just touch us as a nation, as a, as a country, Lord, that we may see your glory. Lord, help us to turn to you in these difficult times. Father, we ask that um, you would just uh, bless the new life that's come into this uh, this world. Lord, we thank you uh, for, for Brenda's uh, grandchild this week, and we just bless you for that. And Lord, as we continue on with their service, Lord, we just ask that you would just pour out a blessing. Lord, take all the technical issues we're having, and Lord, for your glory, we're here for your glory this morning. And so we thank you and praise you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to hand over now to um, to Mark uh, for him to share his his video this week. 
Morning everyone. In our videos over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at covenants. Covenants are promises between God and man, and typically they're conditional, which means that they're dependent on the people doing what God tells them to, to maintain the covenant. There are loads of covenants in the Bible, but we're going to look at five main ones. Now, it's important to realize that each covenant does not cancel or replace the previous covenant, but adds to and extends it. So the first covenant that we're going to look at is called the Noahic covenant. And this is the promise that God made to Noah and all the living creatures on the earth. Since Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were banished from the Garden of Eden, things on the earth started to go wrong. People continued to disobey God more and more. And when we disobey God, that's called sin. And the sin of the people angered and upset God because God is holy and he hates sin, but he loves the world and the people that he created. And he wanted them to love him too. But the people of the earth had turned their backs on God and their sin got worse and worse and violence ruled to a point that there was only one man and his family who loved and served God. And that man was Noah. When Noah was 500 years old, God told him that he was gonna send a flood that would cover the whole earth because of its sin. He told Noah to build an ark. Now, an ark is a really big boat and Noah and his family would live in the ark during the flood. God also told Noah to collect at least two of each of the different types of animals and birds that lived on the earth. And when the ark was finished, they would put all the animals into it. So you can imagine how big the ark must have been. In fact, it was so big that it took Noah and his sons decades to build. And Noah was 600 years old when they finished. Now, while they were building the ark, Noah told everyone that there was going to be a massive flood and that they needed to ask God to forgive their sins. But no one believed him. They just made fun of him because he was building a huge boat in the middle of the dry land without a drop of rain in sight. But when the ark was finished, Noah gathered all the animals into the ark, along with his wife, his three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, and their three wives as well. And when they were all safe inside, God shut and sealed the door. Then it started to rain. The heavens opened and it poured down. It rained without stopping for 40 days and 40 nights. And soon after it started raining, the ark began to float. The rain continued to fall and before long, there was not a trace of dry land left to be seen. Even the highest mountain tops were covered with water and everything on the earth was destroyed. Except of course, Noah and his family and all of the animals that they'd collected together who were safe and sound within the ark. The flood remained for about five months before God caused the water to start going down. Mountaintops started to poke through the surface of the water. So Noah released a raven to see if it could find dry ground and a place to land. But the raven returned to the ark. Then Noah sent out a dove, but it also returned to the ark because it couldn't find a place to settle. A week later, Noah sent the dove out again. This time, when it returned to the ark, it had a new grown olive twig in its mouth. This was a sign to Noah that there was new life 
starting to grow on the earth. But because the dove returned to the ark, it wasn't time for them to leave yet. The next week, Noah sent the dove out for a third time. This time, the dove didn't come back. Noah knew this meant that the dove had found somewhere to make a nest and live, and it was time to leave the ark. So they opened the door and let all the animals go free. When they left the ark, Noah and his family praised and thanked God for saving them. And God spoke to Noah and made this promise or covenant. Never again will I destroy the earth or all the living creatures in it. Noah, this is the covenant I am making with you and all the living creatures of the earth. It is a covenant for all time. Never again will a flood destroy all life and this will be my sign of the covenant i have put a rainbow in the clouds it, it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth and sometimes when i bring clouds over the earth a rainbow will appear in them then i will remember my covenant between me and you and every kind of living thing so noah and his family were saved from the flood because they believed in, loved and served God and they were righteous in God's sight. But at the start of the video, I told you that covenants were conditional, that they required action on the part of the people to maintain the covenant between them and God. And we'll see this in the weeks to come. However, this covenant is different. It shows the love and compassion of God for his creation. It doesn't depend on the actions of Noah and his family or their descendants. This is a one-way promise. God promises never to destroy the earth again. And the enduring sign of the promise is the rainbow. When we see the rainbow, we can be sure that God has everything in hand and he will not let man be destroyed. And it's interesting, isn't it, that during the pandemic, the rainbow is also used as a sign of support for the NHS and the care workers as they battle and save people against the disease. So when you see a rainbow, in whatever context, whether it's in the sky or in a window, on a poster or even a child's drawing, hold on to that promise that God made to Noah. Never again will I destroy the earth and all the living creatures in it. Be confident that God also sees the rainbow and remembers his covenant. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, right, let's continue on. So um, we're now going to be having a reading, which is from Ezekiel 16, verses 1 to 22, verse 60, and verse 62 to 63. Um, Martin has asked me to give a warning for those with younger children. Maybe you want to um, mute your sound so you can read it, uh, just in case there are any awkward questions later. Um, it is one of those passages that is, is difficult um, and um, Martin will explain more when he comes to do his, his talk part of it all. So Ezekiel 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. 
Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you. Sorry. Sorry. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as, as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breast had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garments over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendour I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewellery I gave you, the jewellery made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes and put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil and honey I gave you to eat, you offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the Sovereign Lord. And you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. In all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth, when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. Carrying on at verse 60. I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then, when I make atonement for you and all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Sovereign Lord. Let's just pray for Martin as uh, he comes to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love to each one of us. And Lord, as we come to look at this passage now, difficult though it may be, Lord, we just ask that you would just be with Martin as he preaches now, as he expands the word of God. It is life to each one of us. And so, Father, we just pray you would just breathe life into our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thanks, Steve, very much. Um, uh, so we're looking today at the covenant God keeps, and Mark very helpfully uh, looked at one today, and we'll be looking at um, a covenant each week. Um, basically, a covenant is an agreement between God and people, and, what, and the metaphor for the covenant that I'm going to be looking at today is the marriage covenant. Marriage is a covenant um, that we make between uh, ourselves and God and between the uh, man and the wife and so um, marriage is a really good picture um, in the Bible of the covenant that God makes between us and himself and uh, I want to look at faithfulness and unfaithfulness today. Um, you'll notice I didn't have the whole of the chapter uh, read, uh, two reasons, it's really long and the language gets even more lewd and uh, uh, kind of graphic uh, the more you go through the chapter so I'll leave you to enjoy reading that later on um, at, your own, at your leisure. C.H. Spurgeon the Baptist preacher said of this passage a minister can scarcely read it in public 
which is why I gave it to Steve to read. <laughs> the imagery of um, sexual promiscuity as you go through the chapter is graphic, uncomfortable and lewd. Um, the Bible um, is a real book. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it, it describes life as it really is. Um, and uh, it doesn't cover anything up. It gives life as it really is with all its mess and uh, chaos and, and uh, uh, sin and all the rest, all the darkness. The Bible doesn't hold back. Um, so it's not just racy novels that you'll find this language in. The Bible, too, um, not least in the Book of Judges. But some feminist writers have, have argued that Ezekiel's personification of the people of God as behaving like a female prostitute degrades women and represents men as superior to women. Now we do need to be sensitive to these points of view because many young girls and young women in our nation um, have been forced into prostitution through sex trafficking and poverty. So we need to be sensitive to, to these kind of issues. And we need to acknowledge the difficulties of interpreting this passage because there is much that's sensitive here. There's language about the abandonment of a baby in the first five verses, and you will read the news. Occasionally, we see babies abandoned, even in our own nation. There's language about coming of age sexually. There's language about prostitution and sexual promiscuity. There's language even about sacrificing children. And there may be some listening today who've suffered as an orphan. Maybe some of you have been raised uh, as orphans. Um, or you've suffered sexual abuse or been hurt through marital unfaithfulness or a difficult marriage breakup, or maybe you had a really difficult relationship with, with parents. So I need to tread sensitively here uh, in interpreting this passage. But if we believe the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, who says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Then even, even Ezekiel 16 has got something to teach us. Um, there's stuff here we need to listen to, along with the original audience, Judah. So what's the purpose of this passage? Well, the purpose is, is really a warning. Verse 2, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. Um, Judah, the southern kingdom, have have broken covenant they've got involved with all kinds of horrible stuff and God seeks to get their attention and he uses shocking sexually explicit language to get them to listen to him they simply weren't listening to his warnings that if they broke covenant they'd end up in exile and they would be punished so God shouts to them do you remember this quote from a couple of weeks ago C.S. Lewis said this God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pains it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world well the people of God Judah had become deaf to God's word they were simply not listening and so God uses this allegory this symbolic parable story to remind Israel of where they've come from of their inauspicious beginnings to get their attention to wake them up to listen to him um but we, I, I, like me, you're probably wondering, I wonder, but surely God's megaphone could have been a bit less X-rated, perhaps. Um, we may also wonder, what on earth has this passage got to say to us today? We might say, well, yeah, I, I sin, but I don't get involved in child sacrifice. I don't worship fertility gods. I don't worship the sun or the moon or the stars. I can't, surely, we can't be as unfaithful in the new covenant as Judah were in the old covenant. Well, that may be true, but remember that we have a new covenant that we're part of, and we have been given power and resources that the people of Judah never had in the old covenant. They never had the Holy Spirit poured out on all of them. They never had Christ forgiving them and reconciling them to God. So because more has been given to us, more is expected of us in the new covenant. So actually God raises the bar for us for holy living. Um, and it is possible, as I'll show later, for us, even in the new covenant, to be unfaithful, to be an unfaithful bride of Christ, the bridegroom. And this is what the Bible calls spiritual adultery. If we don't keep God's commands and teachings, if we turn away from him and reject him, 
we can end up committing spiritual idolatry too. Um, so first, I want to look at um, an unfaithfulness as spiritual adultery. Um, as we've seen, God uses um, this parable, this allegory of a story about the people of Judah to get their attention, to cause them to sit up and listen. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I certainly am paying attention when I read through Ezekiel 16. Um, it's kind of you wonder what on earth is coming next in the passage. And I guess when the when the people of Judah heard this read out that uh, uh, Ezekiel um, giving it as a prophecy, they must have been wondering what on earth is coming out of his mouth about us next. It was shocking. And what um, what the allegory says is that Jerusalem was born into a foreign land. We know that the Hittites and the Amorites were the parents of Jerusalem because the Jews entered a foreign land and uh, Jerusalem was treated like an abandoned child, just like in the story, the child was abandoned on a waste piece of land and not cared for. Well, the beginnings of Jerusalem were pretty dire, weren't they? You remember in the book of Judges, everyone did as they saw fit and the, the people turned to pagan idols and the Jerusalem was a horrible place to live. There was rape, there was violence. It was not a nice city to live in. And so Jerusalem was treated like a child that um, had not been rubbed with salt, had not been washed clean. It's, it, was, it, it was neglected in its infancy and uncared for like the baby in the allegory. Sadly, it was a widespread custom in the Near East, particularly with baby girls, that they were often abandoned. Um, they were the wrong sex and they were left exposed um, and left to die. And the, the city of Jerusalem, likewise, was literally left to die in the time of the judges, like an abandoned baby. But the Lord saw Jerusalem abandoned and desolate and sent David, the newly appointed king, to rescue the city. And under God's gracious care, Jerusalem grew to full maturity as a city. And although Jerusalem reached marriageable age, she was still naked and bare. But the Lord visited Jerusalem and claimed her as his own by spreading his garment over her. And that's a marriage proposal. And he entered into a marriage covenant with Jerusalem. She became the Lord's city where he dwelt when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And as a groom to his bride, God lavished marriage gifts on Jerusalem. Ornaments, jewellery, costly garments, a crown and fine foods. She was made exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. She became a queen under the reigns of David and Solomon. Her fame and beauty became re renowned throughout the ancient Near East as the leading capital and nation of the day. It was a true rags to riches story. But no sooner had the Lord crowned Jerusalem with beauty and fame as his bride, than she began to trust in her beauty rather than in the Lord. She began to commit spiritual adultery and you remember under King Solomon's reign, he married lots of foreign women and the, the nation of Israel made lots of foreign treaties and they ended up worshipping idols and foreign gods. And this was the breakup of the nation of Israel into the northern kingdom and into the southern kingdom of Judah. And the worst of it, um, following on from the reigns of the kings after um, Solomon, Jerusalem even ended up offering her children in sacrifice to pagan idols. This was following the worship of the pagan deity Molech. So it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and God warned the people that if they persisted in breaking his covenant and not keeping his laws, they would be exiled and scattered. And this is why they're in Babylon. They've continued to break covenant and God has scattered them. Um, he's, he's seeking to lovingly win them back. He has to punish them and exercise his judgment on them. Otherwise, they're never going to listen. They're never going to turn to him. And this is what is going on. Just as a married partner is jealous and angered by their spouse's adultery, so God is angered and aroused to jealousy by his people's spiritual adultery. So how does this passage um, apply to us? Well, James makes it very clear that it's possible for Christians today to commit spiritual adultery. How, you ask me? Well, here we are, James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, says James to the church. 
Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So in other words, we are in a covenant relationship where we are the bride in the church of Christ and Christ is the bridegroom. Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the saviour. So it's possible for us to arouse God's jealous anger through our spiritual adultery. But what does friendship with the world and spiritual adultery look like for us? It all sounds a bit heavy and intense. And well, surely we in the church, us nice, respectable people, we can't be guilty of spiritual adultery, can we? And friendship with the world, surely. Well, if you read through the letter of James, you will see that James describes spiritual adultery in ways that hit home for us, actually. Um, for example, in chapter two, James talks about spiritual adultery as welcoming only those in the church who are powerful and influential. And he uses a story about somebody who's poor and wearing uh, rags walks into the church and everyone kind of ignores them and refuses to give up their seat for that person. But if somebody powerful and rich and influential comes into the church, everybody chooses the best seat for this person. And in a similar way, we can do this, can't we, in our church life? If we perceive that somebody doesn't fit in with the culture of the church, whatever that is supposed to be, if they don't kind of, if their face doesn't fit, they don't dress in the right way, their mannerisms are a bit odd, you know, they, they don't smell very nice, they don't, they don't look the part, they don't wear a suit, they don't look smart, whatever. If we feel that they're uneducated and they're, they, they, they don't fit the bill of a kind of educated middle-class person, sometimes those people can get overlooked and not honored and cared for in the same way as influential people. Well, this is to commit spiritual adultery, according to James. We are to love and care for and honor, especially those parts of the body that are not in themselves honorable, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. This is a real challenge to us in our churches because we like people who are like us very often, don't we? We're comfortable with people who we're normally comfortable around. But the church is supposed to be a body of people from all different ages and backgrounds that represents not just a part of our community, but the whole community of which we're part. And that's a real challenge to us as a church in New Hall. Do we represent all demographics, all classes, all um, statuses in our local community? Or are we tending to be from a certain type of, of class? Do we honour those like us? So that's the first spiritual adultery we can be guilty of. In chapter three, worldly behaviour, according to James, includes the misuse of the tongue. Is there anybody on the screen right now who's never misused their tongue, who's never gossiped or slandered or told a white lie or exaggerated something? Or is there anybody, honestly, who's never committed spiritual adultery with their tongue? Is there anybody on screen who always 100% of the time tells the truth and never exaggerates or never slanders or speaks negatively of any other people? Of course not. We're all guilty of this kind of sin. And in James 4, um, James also says that worldly ambition, pushing ourselves ahead of others, seeking the good of ourselves before the good of others is another type of spiritual adultery. How do we know this exists? We know it exists because we find it difficult to celebrate when people achieve success. When somebody does well in the church or in their secular workplace or we or, or has a piece of good news, we may feel envious or jealous of their success. And we might outwardly celebrate, but inwardly we're really sort of envious of, of their perceived power, popularity, influence in the church and beyond. And we're very, we can be very self-seeking. We can push forward our own agendas without thinking of the good of others. And again, James says, this sort of self-seeking ambition is another form of spiritual adultery. So I'm saying that in the new covenant, the bar is high for us. God expects more of us because he's given more resources and power through Christ to us in the new covenant. Second, how does our spiritual adultery then arouse God's jealous anger? 
that's what I want to look at next. Um, well, the Bible says in, in, in Exodus 34, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Now, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines God's jealousy for his people like this. He says, God's jealousy means that God continually seeks to protect his own honor. Now, that sounds a bit weird for us because we're not supposed to be jealous as human beings. We're supposed to be humble and not proud. We're not supposed. Jealousy is often not a good thing for us because it's often about us being self-seeking. But the Bible says that God is jealous for his own glory and jealous for our honor and worship. Why? Because he's perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness, perfect in justice. So it's right for us to honor him. It's right for us to worship him because he's the only one who's worthy of it. And therefore, God is jealous for our worship and our honor because he's created us to love him, to honor him, to worship him, to bring him glory. So he's jealous that we should do that. And when we reject his love for us in Christ, when we turn away from him, he's jealous to win our, to win our love and devotion back. So just as a spouse can be hurt by, their, by the unfaithfulness of their spouse, so God, as our husband, Christ is, a, is the husband of the church, is jealous when we turn away and commit sin from God. So what do we do when we provoke God's jealous anger through our sin? Well, there is good news, folks. I'm ending with good news. We turn to the promise of a new covenant, which is God's remedy for our unfaithfulness. Um, at the end of a very difficult long passage in Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel ends with good news. So I will establish my covenant with you, says God, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then when I make atonement for you, for all you've done, you will remember. And it goes on. And be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Lord. In other words, adultery was not the end of the story, even while the woman in the story was still being unfaithful. Um, God promised to win her back, to restore her to be a queen, to restore her children. And this is a, this is a picture of God's relentless pursuit of us in his grace. Um, just like the woman in the story, there was a time when we weren't seeking God. We'd rejected him. We turned away from him. But his relentless love and grace came chasing after us. Just as the woman in the, in the allegory had done nothing to deserve mercy and grace from God, she'd only committed horrendous acts of, of unfaithfulness. But God's covenant love reached out to her nonetheless and restored her and her children and her family. And just like that, when we were dead in our sin, God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us, to bring us back to him. Not because we were looking for him, but his grace, his mercy, his love came looking for us in the person of Jesus. And that's the new covenant love that God has poured out on us. And even more than that, Jesus took all of our shame, all of our rejection of God's love for us when he died on the cross. In the allegory, the abandoned baby representing Jerusalem was rescued washed clean and cared for by God. But remember that on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked and shamed by that execution. No one came to wash the blood away from his hands and feet. No one came to care for him. No one rescued him. Instead, Jesus paid the penalty for our rejection of God's love for us. He took all the stain and ugliness of our sin on himself. And in exchange, he gave us his beautiful white robes of righteousness. And he took our petty bones from us and he handed us by faith beautiful white robes to wear. This is a picture of God restoring us in our unfaithfulness to royalty, to being his sons and daughters. And Jesus, the bridegroom, gave up his life to death on a cross to prepare a beautiful bride, the church, beautifully dressed in white 
and united to him. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul says this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And there's more good news because one day Jesus is coming again for his church, the bride. There will be a feast in eternity when we are united as the church in heaven with Jesus, the bridegroom. Revelation 19 says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was. Uh, we move it on. given her to wear fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. That's the picture that John gives us of the future of the church. Jesus, the bridegroom is coming for his bride, having washed her and made her clean. He's coming to be united to her for eternity. And that's a picture for all of us and it's a, it's a reminder that we are called to remain faithful to Jesus, the bridegroom, until he comes again. We are to turn away from the stain of sin and be who we are in Christ. Jesus has given us white robes to wear of righteousness. We're not to turn away and to live unfaithful lives of spiritual adultery, but to live in preparation and anticipation of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So we're to live today in submission and obedience to all his teachings, remembering that Jesus' lavish love came searching for us and was lavished on us and restored us when he died on the cross for us. God has promised to keep his covenant with us for eternity, and that covenant will be a marriage supper in the presence of Jesus for eternity, a feast that never ends. Our side of the covenant is to be holy and to keep God's teachings until Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this incredible new covenant that you have brought about through washing us clean, through restoring us through your death on the cross. You have made a holy bride your church. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be prepared for your coming again. Forgive us, Lord, when we turn away from you in spiritual adultery. Lord, when we don't treat others as we should, when we only recognise the influential, the powerful in our churches and in our workplaces. Lord, when we ignore the marginalised and the poor and those who are not like us. Lord, for those times when we've used our tongue not to build up and encourage and strengthen others, but to slander and speak negatively and gossip about others, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, for those times when we've sought our own ambition and glory and we've not looked to the good of others, Lord, we turn away from these examples of spiritual adultery. Lord, we want to live pure holy lives committed to you submitted to you and in obedience to you jesus forgive us have mercy on us and restore us to be your holy bride we pray in jesus name amen amen thank you uh, martin uh, so as we come to to finish our service i know some are still having some sound problems um which we're going to have to look after it later because it's all about encryption and stuff so but let's just um there's a song that martin had asked for which is called there is a day that all creation's waiting for um and it talks about the time when one day we're going to be with christ in heaven um and all pain and all suffering will cease um so i'll just play that thank you a day that all creation's waiting for day of freedom liberation from 
see up there there's Nigel's number if you need to be put into a prayer room with somebody from the prayer team then please just contact him um, and he will sort that out let's just finish with a word of blessing father God we thank you for your unfailing love we thank you though our sins are like scarlet they shall be made white as snow um, and we know that you are a faithful God and so Lord as we go out into this week may we shine Christ in all we say and do amen <laughs>